want to start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever lost anything? Anybody? Okay, well, let's uh, we'll make it a little bit more specific. How many of you ever lost anything important? Okay, um, let's see. Raise those hands. Just, I'll tell you what, kind of shout it out. What have you lost that's important? Keys is a big one. Anything else? Cell phone. Okay. Child. Listen, I got to tell you, (laughs) Um, we can lose some things that are important from time to time. There is no doubt. And when that happens, um, typically we put forth great effort in order to find that which we have lost. Now, one of the things that I'm grateful for is my phone can help me find, my watch can help me find my phone. Now, I'm not sure my phone can help me find my watch, but typically I've got this on, so at least I can find that. Never lost a child. That's not such a big deal. Probably the funniest thing, well, it wasn't funny at the time, but probably one of the funniest things that we had when we were in Texas, we were in seminary, we had a good friend. They're still good friends. He started a new job, and this job was on commission. And he brought home a commission, he he brought home a check that he had to turn in so he could get paid, and he lost it. And that in more ways than one. Uh, He turned that house over upside down. They were panicking, they were looking everywhere. I think they finally found it in the trash of all places. But I could not help but think of that story as I read the story that we are going to focus on this morning as we think about losing something that's very very important. In fact, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells three stories about something that is lost. And the reason he tells the story, those stories, is actually found at the very beginning of that chapter, Luke chapter 15. So let me give you the two preview verses of that so you know what it was that motivated Jesus to tell the stories he was going to tell In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we read these verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now it's important for us to understand who it is that's gathering around to hear Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. That means they grumbled, they complained. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, let's set the scene. Jesus is gaining traction, gaining popularity. He's attracting crowds. But, listen, the crowds are not exactly what the Pharisees would like a man of God to attract. He was attracting tax collectors. Now, hey, listen, guess what? This is tax collection week, right? Tax, we, we're thinking about tax collectors. None of us are happy with tax collectors. None of us are super excited about the IRS taking taxes. It was even worse then because the tax collectors could take advantage of people and actually uh, exert, you know, get more from them than they were supposed to. So tax collectors were looked on as, especially if they were Jewish, as a little more than traitors. And then sinners is just kind of one of those catch-all categories. Okay, you just throw, lump them all in. No matter what it is that they're doing, lump them all in that category. And the Pharisees saw themselves, as a matter of fact, they considered themselves the separated ones. Now listen, that's not entirely bad. There are some things that we don't want to get involved in in our own lives. 
But they not only separated themselves from the sins that they saw around them, they separated themselves from the people who were committing those sins. They considered themselves the separated ones. They took great pride in being separated, and they considered those others the people of the land. Now, that doesn't sound nearly so bad, but what they were saying was these people were dirty. These people were common. In fact, when they looked at the, 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 those people out there, they saw them as ignorant and oftentimes as cursed by God. And the idea that Jesus, uh, a, a, a rabbi, a teacher, perhaps a prophet in their eyes, the idea that Jesus would associate with such people was absolutely disgusting to the Pharisees. How could this man, if he truly was from God, how could he be eating, let alone just hanging around or in the company of these sinners, but actually eating, having a meal, sharing a meal with them? And it says that Jesus sat among the sinners. Folks, we need to let this, these two verses really jump on us, okay? We need to understand that as we attempt to live a life that is separate from the world, to be in the world but not of the world, to live a separated life in our own personal holiness, we need to understand that Jesus never calls us to separate ourselves from people. And I, I pray, part of my, my prayer list as I go through each week, I'm praying for the jail ministry. Now there's some of you in here that are involved in our jail ministry and you take the time to go into the jail and to minister to those people, uh, many of whom will profess their innocence, but uh, most of them are there for a reason. And sometimes the reason's pretty bad. And yet you go in and you associate with them. You, you, you're there with them, not just to, you don't come as I'm up here and you're down here. You bring yourself to where they are. And Jesus was doing that. And the Pharisees were absolutely ticked off that Jesus would have such an attitude toward these common, common people. And so he sat there among the sinners, but he taught in such a way that the Pharisees would hear as they stood off at a smug distance from Jesus. And he tells three stories. And these three stories reveal the heart of God. We don't have time to read all three stories. I'll tell you the first story is about a sheep that wanders away, a sheep that gets lost. The third story, the third story is about a son who runs away. Not only does he run away, he breaks the heart of his father, the trust of his father, and he blows it all. He wastes it all. And he ends up at the very end of his rope. Both stories, as Jesus told them, both stories would have brought great comfort to those sinners who sat around him. And both stories would have rattled the cages of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, we don't have time to read all three of these stories, but let me encourage you, if you have time this afternoon, to open up to Luke chapter 15 and just read the entire chapter. It's not that long. Read all three of these stories and let God work, God's Word speak to you as well. But I want us to focus this morning very briefly on the middle story. 
And it's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. It's not a long portion of Scripture. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. Lord God, help us to hear this. By your Spirit, let it sink deep into us. Lord, if it needs to bring comfort to us, then let it bring comfort. If it needs to bring conviction, then Lord, let it bring conviction. But Lord, don't let it do nothing. Let your word have its way in us today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at this third story that Jesus tells, beginning with verse 8. He says, or suppose, now again, remember, he's already told one story. This is the middle one. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and rejoices. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin in the same way. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The story has a woman who has ten coins. She loses one, and she was determined to find it. The coin in the Greek text, the coin is a drachma. Now that doesn't tell most of us much of anything, but it would be very similar, uh, scholars think, to the denarii. And the denarii was typically what was considered to be the wages for one day laborer. So for one day's wages, that would be the amount of that coin. She had 10 of them, so she had what amounted to about a week and a half worth of salary And she lost one of those coins. Now, it's interesting as you read through commentaries and you hear other people as they address the passage, they're trying to figure out, okay, exactly what was the deal here? Um, Was this all the money that she had? And that's possible because it doesn't mention any other family. Perhaps she was a widow. Perhaps this was pretty much everything that she had to live on. And so you would expect if you lost a tenth of your salary that or a tenth of your income, or a tenth of your savings, that you would do everything you could to find it. Others believe that this may have been, instead of a, a widow, that this may have been a, a woman who is not yet married, and that the ten silver coins, the ten drachma, were part of her bridal dowry. In other words, that is what she was saving up. And now listen, I understand things are a little different now, but at that time it was not unusual for for money or livestock to accompany a bride to kind of sweeten the pot for the bride. Now realize that that's not something we do today. Uh, it wasn't, uh, that wasn't the way it worked when I married off Jackie. Let's just put it that way. A little bit different. We really don't know. All we know is she had 10 coins and she lost one and did everything she could to find it. In, those, in that time, living in the homes that they lived in, uh, remember, it would be a fairly dimly lit, perhaps even with one window, and, and some homes not even having one window, very dimly lit. 
if you've ever, um, the lights go out in your house, you kind of understand, even with windows, it can be tough to find things that you may drop. And having been in places like Africa and been in places like the Dominican Republic into very poor areas, um, there are a lot of dark corners. There are a lot of places you can't see. She had no electricity, no overhead light bulb hanging down to turn on to look for the coin. She, she didn't have one of those high-powered flashlights that you can get from Home Depot that will literally blind you if you look directly at it. She, she didn't have anything like that. And so she did what she could. She lit a little oil lamp, which gave off about as much light as a candle would have. Can you imagine losing something in your house? Something rolls away and you have to look for it in a dark room with simply a candle. This is what she was doing. She was searching for it. In fact, she not only looked for it with the light, she got off the broom and began to sweep. We don't know if her floor was dirt and perhaps she thought, well, I can uncover it, you know, a little bit if I can sweep. Or if she had a stone floor, and it's interesting that in excavations that have been done in ancient times, one of the things they most often find between stones in a floor is coins. And so perhaps as she was sweeping, she was wanting to dislodge it a little bit so that the lamp might just catch a glint of the metal reflecting back at her so she could find this lamp. But what we do know from the story that Jesus tells is that she searched and she searched and she searched until she found it. She didn't say, oh well, at least I've got nine. I'm down one, but at least I've got nine. No, she didn't give up. She searched diligently until she found it. And then when she did find it, she called her friends together, her neighbors together, and said, hey, come celebrate with me. I found this lost coin. Now, it's interesting, as you go back perhaps this afternoon and read the other passages, you'll notice there's similar celebrations in all three. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he celebrates, he invites others to come and celebrate with him. When the man's son, who has gone off and squandered everything, finally returns home, he celebrates and he invites others to come and celebrate this homecoming with him. And so there are similar celebrations, similar rejoicing when what was lost is now found. And so as Jesus is telling these cute little stories, he kind of drops a bomb on the Pharisees when he, when she, when he says this, in the same way, okay, I just told this story about a woman, lost a coin, found the coin, celebrated, invited us to celebrate it. In the same way, she said, or he said, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now think about this. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're muttering. Now listen, don't think that they were just going, They didn't care if they were overheard. They wanted to be overheard. It made them look more righteous to stand there and mutter about the sinners gathered around Jesus. They didn't care whether they were overheard. Jesus certainly knew not only what was on their lips, but also what was in their hearts. And so telling this story would be a, it would be a frontal assault, assault at the 
the attitude and the heart of the Pharisees toward these people of the land. These sinners who were gathered around Jesus, these sinners who were rejected and ignored by the Pharisees. Because Jesus says, listen, let me tell you, those people that you consider to be outcast, unclean, and cursed by God, what I want you to understand is God is looking for them. God is searching for them. God is desiring them. God rejoices when even one sinner repents. And in fact, when it happens, he turns to the angels and says, let's get this party started. There is rejoicing in heaven when even one, even one person who doesn't know Jesus comes to faith in him. There is a party in heaven. We don't get the, we, we truly do not get the immensity of the grace of God as he pulls someone from death into life, from darkness into light, all by his grace. And what happens in heaven when the angels celebrate that grace and celebrate that one, just that one person, who has turned from self and selfishness and turned to Jesus Christ and found life. We don't get it. Jesus tells us three stories. Let these stories in Luke chapter 15 tumble, tumble, tumble. I know some of you, now we don't, we don't do this much at my house because I'm a little OCD. When the dryer goes off, how many of you think you should immediately get up and take the clothes out? Okay. How many of you think, yeah, it can go around again? Come on. How many of you think it can go around three or four times and it's just fine? Okay. For, so for those of you who are like me, I want you to do a little better than I'm going to do. I want you to take Luke 15 and I want to put it in your dryer and I want you to let that puppy tumble all afternoon. Just keep hitting the button, okay? Just keep sending it around. I want you to get this, these verses, these three stories that Jesus tells into you. I want you to be like that cow that chooses cud all day. I want, this, I want these verses to, to actually impact you in a way they never have before. I want you to see the people that Jesus is associating with and see the people who are standing separated from them. And then say with them, I don't want to be there. I, I don't want to be among the separated ones. I want to be with Jesus sitting down among the sinners and the outcast and the rejects in this life. I want to be where Jesus would be. I want the heart of Jesus for these people. And when one, even one, comes to know Jesus, I want to be part of of the celebration and it'll only happen as the spirit of god and the word of god work together in your heart to change you to change your attitude to change your life i don't have an exact count but there are approximately 7.7 billion people in this world today and not one of them not one of them 
is unimportant to God. There are 328 and a half million people approximately in the United States of America, and each one, each one is precious to God. There are 10.8 million people who live in the state of Georgia, and God loves every last one of them. There are over 17,000 people who live in Greene County, and everyone Everyone is valuable to the Lord. What I want us to get today from all three of these stories, as you read them this afternoon, as you hear, I want you to get the value of one. I want you to get the value of one. We have a big mission. Jesus said, go into all the world. Go to all nations, Okay. But when we read these stories, we see how heaven rejoices over one. We don't want to get so caught up in the billions and the millions and the thousands and the hundreds that we miss the one. One sheep, one coin, one child. And so... Let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. In your circle of friends, who's the one? In the place where you work, who's the one? In your school, who's the one? In your family, who's the one? In this room, who's the one? May the Lord give us a love for that one. May he give us a heart to pray for that one until that one comes to faith. May he give us a heart to share the good news of Jesus with that one until they come to faith. May the Lord never allow us to give up on that one. Some of you began to pray for someone that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ at some point. And after a while, you said, you know what? It hadn't happened yet. And you didn't mean to. You didn't mark them off your list. But you've quit praying for them. They're kind of maybe out of sight, out of mind. And they're no longer the one for you. Let me encourage you to pray for that one. Be like the shepherd who's willing to leave it all behind to go find the one. Be like the the woman who's willing to turn the house upside down in order to find the, the one. Be like the father whose heart constantly beats for the one who's not there. Who's your one? In your handout, in your sermon notes today, at the very bottom of the sermon notes, you see that question asked? Who's your one? What's underneath that? An empty box, right? Okay, don't leave it empty. You may know right now who your one is. 
And you may be ready to write that name in right now. Here's my one. Here's, here's the one that my heart is beating that they would come to know Jesus. Here's the one that, that, that I, I wanna, I, I'm going to keep praying for. Here's the one that, that I want to invite to come and be part of a, an Easter celebration. Here's the one that I'm going I'm to, I'm I'm going to set a time and a place to sit down and talk with this person about eternity. Who's your one? And once you have a name in there, then pray for that one. Once you have a name in there, then if they're local, find a way to invite that one. Maybe to invite them to the Easter service or maybe to the celebration the week after that. When you have a name in that blank, then commit to sharing your faith with that one. In fact, if you're using our journals, and I hope many of you have picked up one of our Following Jesus journals. If not, they are available right out here across the way at the Grace at Home uh, Resource Center. On each day's page, you not only have something to help you pray and something to help you study Scripture, at the very bottom of each page, it asks who you're going to reach and who you're going to serve every day. Now, that name may stay right there in that reach category for a long, long time. That may be your one, and they're in that blank every single day. Or maybe it's someone new as you begin to find other people who need to know Jesus. But it asks three questions underneath the reach section. And the three questions after you put the name of the person is, what, when, and where? In other words, it asks you to make a plan. What am I going to do? When am I going to do it? And where am I going to do it? And as you think about your one, then ask yourself those questions. I've got this one on my heart. What am I going to do about it? When am I going to do it? And where am I going to do it? We are all invited. We're invited to the party to celebrate those who come to faith, for sure. But we're also in it, we're invited to be the shepherd to be the woman who's searching. We're invited to find that one. Or maybe this morning you're the one. And you've been confronted this week by the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and you know that today is the day of salvation for you. You know you're the one. And I want to invite you today to come and to know the Savior. To come and be a part of the family of God. To come and find life and peace and forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. We would love to share with you how to come to faith in the living Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, and as we do, this is an opportunity for you to respond to whatever the Lord leads. Maybe you are the one, and you're ready today to give your life to Christ. Maybe you need a church home, a church family, a place to belong, and you're saying, this is where God is calling me. Or maybe you simply want to come today and kneel and pray for that one, that name that fills the blank. Whatever it is that you need to do, 
May the Lord lead you to do it. Let's pray. Father God, this is your time, and we ask that you would act in power and in love to move people to where you want them to be. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.